This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Weekends with Walshy starts now. Hello there. Welcome to you. Hope you've had a good week. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition or Weekends with Walshy. My name is Peter Gowers and I'd like to introduce you now to my very special co-host for this episode, aka special guest. All the way from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, it's the editor, Chris Walsh. I feel like I need a fanfare for you, Walshy. <laughs> yeah, that's starting to sound pretty good there. Thank it's you. Good, good to be with you again. Good to be with you too, mate. And uh, unfortunately, yeah. we're going to have to start off with a brick bat this week. <laughs> now, for those who are unfamiliar with brick bats, that is uh, a negative comment negative feedback i think the word is uh loosely translated as um and it it comes probably just due to my extreme uh disappointment i'll I'll use that word you could use stronger words with uh an mla in the northern territory chris okay um and I, uh, I reached out to uh, the member for Catherine to come on the podcast and uh, yeah. tell us her story. And um, I would have thought when you're in opposition, uh, languishing, I think we should say, <laughs> and yeah. when your party has lost successive uh, by-elections, which when you're in opposition is, uh, we say, unheard of. <laughs> well, no, yeah, it's certainly not a good look. It's not a good look. All right, let's go. With that. A good and indicator of things to come. Yeah, exactly. And when a well-intentioned uh, podcast reaches out and says, "Look, come on, love to hear your story and hear what you're doing and hear what you're delivering for your constituents of of the Catherine region and 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 on a broader scale, what the CLP might be thinking about doing leading into the election in just twelve months from now." I reckon replying after three months of follow-up emails and yes, we'll get back to you and etc. I reckon replying with, "Oh, really sorry, but the member's really busy between now and December, so maybe try <laughs> next year." I reckon that's as piss weak a response as you can give. And uh, you know what? yeah. If you don't want to come on, don't come on. And if you don't like what we do, that's fine. If you don't like what we've said, no problems. But to give that excuse, that is just so weak. And well, yeah. You've missed yeah, a free kick in front of goal to get yeah, in front of your right. potential voters to tell them what you're doing. And if you get rolled in the next election, you probably deserve it. <laughs> Look, I, I, I think you just got to go back, Pete, and just indicate to them that, of course, your schedule's filled up from January through till the end of August next yes, year. Yes, exactly. Uh, through till yeah. election night. <laughs> yeah. Happy to talk the day after the election. <laughs> yeah, look, yeah, the member for Catherine, Joe Hersey. I've, speak, I've spoken to Joe before. You know, she seems like she uh, has an opinion and likes to get it across. I, I, yeah. I don't know why that would be an issue. You know, with her personally, it sounds like it's something with the party and the party. Well, look, um, Dave, we, we've talked about that, that they have this strategy that they're not allowed to question and that they're not allowed to talk about. Uh, that's supposed to be the grand secret plan to get them all reelected uh, and, and into government next next year. Uh, though nobody really understands the wisdom behind that plan, but I guess this is all part of a plan and they do not question the plan. So follow the plan. 
Well, uh, when it all falls apart and you, <laughs> you question the plan, uh, it'll, be, it'll be too late, let me tell you. Yeah, there's been some missteps, Peter, as we've, uh, well, we've discussed yeah. on this, chronicled. Um, so this sounds like another one. Yeah, not really in a year out. they they got to be doing every media opportunity they can get yeah. and um, spreading the word everywhere. That that That's, yeah, that's really bad. I, thought it, I found it staggering. Um, yeah. and you know, I'm not, I'm not looking at it personally. It probably sounds like I am. So I should say that I, mm-hmm. I personally, I don't care. We have more than enough guests and that's fine. But I just thought what a great opportunity 12 months out, come and tell us what you're doing. Because yeah. last time we spoke to a few of the, um, uh, CLP members, uh, aspiring MLAs. And mm-hmm. I think we spoke to a couple of those who are in seats. We did. We spoke to Gary Higgins as well. And there seemed to be this theory of we'll tell them the policies six weeks six weeks out from the election. Yeah, so that's not going to work. Uh, yeah, and outside of that, look what they've been throwing around here are policies. Look, just like last week, ABC was reporting that the CLP was going on about the mandatory rehab stuff that we yeah. know fails and fails horribly. And that this is what I was talking about. This is an idea that's more than ten years old. Like I was yeah. thinking it was back when Alfred, but apparently it was even predated him. But this was—it's right. not going to work. They got—they got old ideas, and they don't want to talk about it. And that—that that is very odd. I wouldn't take it personally. And you did—you did inform them that this is the Territory Story podcast. You're not coming on weekends with Walsh. Walsh won't be anywhere around. We promise. <laughs> <laughs> just... No, I, I didn't mention Walshy, not by design, but just the fact that it was, come on and tell your story. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, now I'm thinking they think, oh, no, if that jerk's going to be there. And then, uh, yeah, uh, not uh, going on. I think they might be concerned about this jerk, not that jerk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, but that's what it seems like. And I, I'm, yeah, and then uh, you just got to take every media opportunity. But like I said, I think it goes back to their plan and mm. don't ever question the plan, Pete. No, no. Anyway, all right. That, that's my gripe for the week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought I'd bring it up because I thought nobody would know better than you than being rejected by MLAs. But <laughs> yeah. I just thought it's crazy, absolutely crazy. Anyway, it, it is. is what it is. Yeah. Let's get into the stories because they uh, present a whole new level of crazy, Chris. Last week, of course, we talked about the uh, COP operative that was uh, uh, employed by the ICAC and, you know, to much uh, chagrin, from the chief minister and, uh, you know, the government. And then this week we find out, guess what? They also hired a Labor Party member at the IK. Uh, yeah, Pete, this story just kind of keeps growing and growing here. But, yeah, sure enough. I mean, last week we discussed on here how, you know, a, a guy by the name of Cormac McCarthy, not the author, uh, was hired, named MAC, the McCarthy part, for this guy. Anyway, look, uh, again, not the... I know the guy, not that he did anything wrong. Uh, it's just that it was such a bad look when you have, you know, so many sensitive investigations, so many sensitive reports going there to have a guy who was heavily involved in the CLP. And there's no way around that. I mean, I've got documents to show he was on the executive management committee. He was the acting Darwin branch chair f- from time to time. He campaigned, he fundraised, he helped fundraisers. And this guy was pretty full on in the CLP uh, to bring him in. And again, we're not saying that he would have even done anything wrong, but yet just can't do that. And uh, and this thing kind of started to blow up, right? So we, we talked about this last weekend. Now, what happened on that Saturday? 
was somewhat remarkable or extraordinary, I think is how we put it, this letter. So 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 mm-hmm. Riches gets up on Saturday morning. I assume that he listens first and foremost to Weekends with Walshie. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and then he, <laughs> Saturday uh, morning constitutional. And, uh, as he's listening to that, he, he flips open from time to time, not always, but somebody told him this weekend, oh, the NT News has something. Uh-huh. Not not written by an employee of the NT News, mind you. This was by Matt Cunningham. Now, Cunningham, of course, is Sky News uh, Bureau Chief, whatever they call him, for Northern Australia. He's uh, a former editor there, of course, too. And he knows what's going on. But he uh, he wrote a column in which he uh, called for, essentially suggested that it's a time that we look at disbanding the ICAC here. Right? Given all the controversies that have happened, we now have this guy... Um, uh, hiring the CLP and then, and, and, you know, and whatever, and Cunningham, you know, didn't want to acknowledge that the NT independent broke it, but he liked to use our stuff by saying that, uh, oh, Riches appeared not to have known that this yeah. guy and his, and his deep ties to the CLP. Well, that's true because we broke that and we had that in a first statement from Riches, like I said, when he said, oh, you're raising serious uh, issues here, Chris, that I'll have to investigate. Well, he went back and he did. But remember, he gave us the, the, the lamest excuse ever. Like he, you know, instead of accepting responsibility. And I, and, I, and I think what happened here was that this was an issue where riches is overwhelmed. We know that this job is difficult and probably not what he expected. Uh, it, it seemed that he was getting stressed out, that he may have started delegating things to people. It appears this was one of them. This hire for a new investigator or operations officer, as they call it now, um, and he didn't know, and, and I and he didn't know that this guy was so tied in with the CLP. So they hired him back in June. Mm. Remember this guy, and you got to the, the thing that I find out about this guy is that he shows up at the chief minister's VA supercar tent. Remember and starts telling everybody that he works at the ICAC, which I'm not sure. Like That's look, a little weird. Yeah, it's not like he did anything illegal there or improper, but uh, you just want to beat the street. You know, discretion is key when you're working for the ICAC. I think everyone yeah. can agree. Um, so it's anyway, either that, it's either that or some form of reverse psychology. I reckon. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> be a very well laid plan. He just, he just walked up to the chief minister and said, "I could take you down." What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Thanks for the email. Catch you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm drink your drinks here. Your alcohol. <laughs> it's all the taxpayer expense, mind you, at that tent. Yeah. Um, I haven't been invited to the chief minister's tent in years. Back in <laughs> no, the old no, days. I remember back in the old days at the radio stations, we used to get the annual invites. Yeah. But, uh, ever since my involvement with Territory Story, things have dried up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. Man. I, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, look, so, so we had this issue. Now, we went to him, uh, to Riches, and he, he just, he, he, he didn't accept responsibility. And this is the thing, Peter, I was telling you last week that really bothered me about mm-hmm. his handling of it was that he just, he did what this Labour government would do. And, and that, that's not a good look for an ICAC. So what he did was, and, and, and I pointed out to you the other day, I said, hey, you, you got to check out the former chief ministerial advisor, former senior labor advisor, Charlie Phillips, wrote an opinion piece for us last week that was remarkable in, the, in its insight into how this government works and how they accept no responsibility. But as, as Charlie Phillips, he was a senior advisor to three labor chief ministers. 
right? Like this guy's got experience. Yeah. So he knows what's going on there. He said, look, they've got a template here that they run out of four different points. Delay, deny, you know, accept no responsibility. Um, there's another one in there, but it, it's, uh, the, yeah, the deny, delay, accept no responsibility. There's another one. It's, it's, it's just anything to get away from accepting that responsibility. What we saw last week was riches do the same thing. Now, this, and, and he's criticized for it by Cunningham. Cunningham says, you know, I think we got to look at, at disbanding it. Uh, maybe the NT can't have its own. I don't agree with that, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think we need it. I, I think we need it. I think we need to look at how this thing's properly done. But it's not because we know that the Shanahan review is going on. The legislation, as it stands, is already too restrictive for a commissioner. Uh, and that led to some of these problems and these failures that we've seen. And they're going to make it even more restrictive now. Which Remember, we had the national leading expert on ICAC saying, this is quite weird by national standards, what the <laughs> government is proposing yes. in terms of the reforms of legislation to the ICAC Act. So, you know, we've got we've got issues here, but I think that the, if, if, if we had, I think it comes back to the commissioner though, too. I mean, I think he's got to get in here and understand now he's been complaining about not being able to hire the proper people. So what he does anyway, look, we, we'll get back to that, but he, uh, he faces this criticism. We were critical of him last week in those stories on the podcast. And then, uh, Cunningham was in his column and, uh, Rich's response like he, wow. he, on a Saturday, no less, he sends a, a letter to the chief minister in which he, you know, defends uh, the honor of his office, but admits in this letter that he accepts responsibility, that that, that, that hire of the COP operative should not have happened. This is where he comes clean. This is where he finally stands up and accepts responsibility. Yep. Why he didn't do that three days earlier on the Wednesday. And he's announced an investigation into himself? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Look, it, it was weird. But he also blamed, um, you know, these budget cuts that he's had. And that he's had uh, uh, requests for additional funding to offer incentives to get people here knocked back. And so he's saying, so look, I can't get the proper people. And now, so my people are hiring improper people. But again, he says he didn't, they, they get, go, Cormac McCarthy, and let's be clear, did nothing wrong here, but he is yeah. affiliated too closely with the party. The perception's there. And he shouldn't have been hired. He admits that, right? But uh, yeah, that's it. Why doesn't he uh, He do that? He, he had said that, remember, he told us he wouldn't be involved in certain investigations uh, and has not been allocated any assessment relating to a minister, an MLA, or any matter that might involve a political element. And we said, well, they all do. Uh, anyway, however, in the Saturday letter to the chief minister, which was also distributed to all 24 other MTMLAs, Richard said he understands and accepts the criticism that has been made over the hiring. Greater attention ought to have been paid to the applicant's prior political affiliations. He wrote, as commissioner, I am responsible for all recruitment decisions, and I accept responsibility for this decision. Now, he said in there that he intended to make further comment on the matter on Monday. After discussing the issue with the individual involved, he said, none of what I've said should be seen as a criticism of the individual involved who I am advised is performing to a high standard, he wrote. Now, it was unclear if that further comment involved termination, uh, removing, you know, moving somebody to this guy to another position. Anyway, yeah, he then went on and, and recommended changes to the ICAC Act to impose a statutory ban 
on the appointment of any person who has been an MLA or a member of a political party in the past five years, unless both the commissioner and the independent inspector are satisfied that that political affiliations don't cause an issue. Uh, so that was another one. I mean, I, I don't know why he doesn't say this on the Wednesday when we're talking to him about it. Uh, the false government. Yeah. And then we get into that about the friendly soon the draft. Uh, anyway, it's just bad stuff. Those, uh, reforms. Um, he said he doesn't agree with the proposition that kind of going to put forth that we don't need a, a, a local ICAC here. He said there's no substitute for locally based decision makers particularly in respect to the many and varied functions performed by my office. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it must be accepted that there is an element of truth to the commentator's underlying argument, that is, the population of the NT is small, and as a consequence, the pool of suitably skilled and qualified applicants is minuscule. <laughs> so take it, that, Northern Territory. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack in all that. <laughs> yeah. We got a guy from South Australia coming up. Yeah, yeah there. exactly. Our talent pool is minuscule. Yeah. Well, that's and true. he ain't wrong. <laughs> that's true. But that letter, I mean, that letter was a, a exercise in stating the bleeding obvious. It's like, yeah, we agree with all that. That's pretty much how it got brought up in the first place. But the the um, fact remains: how did it uh, get discovered externally before it was discovered internally? Yeah, isn't well, that the major outcome? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, Pete. Yeah. And then, then that's the issue, and it didn't seem like he was on top of things. And then to wait three days for this and do this after this direct criticism from Cunningham, it's uh, uh, unusual, I would say. And so, okay, and so everybody thinks, okay, well, he's coming out on Monday and he's going to say something. Yeah. No, no, he doesn't do that. Crickets? Yeah, well, he puts out a thing, right, and he says... Well, because we we got this letter on Saturday, so we broke this Sunday morning. Yeah. So yeah, apparently when he <laughs> was sending it out to twenty five MLAs and you know all of their office people who would have access to that. Now, when somebody does that, that means they want it publicized. <laughs> was he, was <laughs> he sure that you got your hands on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, and he and he spit the dummy over it and said, "I'm not putting out a comment on Monday now because." The NT Independent reported my letter to the chief minister. I'm going to save my next all staff email to Wednesday. Yeah, I just couldn't. Uh, I couldn't believe that because you know we were waiting and we thought, okay, well he's got to address what he's actually going to do with yeah. this CLP operative now. And you know, God knows we didn't want the payout. You know, you don't want it to come a chalker thing where <laughs> this guy has signed a contract for however long and he gets paid out. Um, um, anyway, what would the uh, conditions of that be? Yeah, I don't know, that, uh, we're going to have to let you go. It's not because of your performance. It's not because you did. It's actually because of what we did. We're going to have to let you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that would, and that's what we had said on the Sunday. It was unclear how much that would all cost taxpayers if something like that were to happen. Yeah. But look, yeah, he he signed off on it, and uh, he should have known that. And if he wasn't told that, that there's another problem internally there. Um, anyway, so, so look, so Monday comes, uh, at three o'clock, he puts out three forty-five or something, puts out a statement saying, I'm not going to put out a statement. This is true. I'm not going to put out a statement because the NT independent reported it, uh, my letter. And so I will now publish my letter for everyone to see on my website. <laughs> oh, again, okay. he's all like hung up on that. We've got to publish his full response and everything. I'm like, no, I can pick out the important stuff. Yeah. Um, but I guess he wanted his full anyway. Then he introduces this bizarre deputy program. Okay. Like deputy voluntary. Dog. Yeah. Deputy yeah. Dog. Where we assume now that, that that these public servants on a voluntary basis will sign up for a, a 
a program of sorts. It involves workshops and seminars for 12 months. And uh, they'll get a little badge and a little plastic six-shooter, and they'll be the little deputies. Um, And it's like Friends of ICAC. And at the end of this, Pete, those who participate will receive a certificate signed by the ICAC. That's what he said. He said that he will sign a certificate and give it to these public servants who sign up to do this intensive program that involves workshops, seminars. Uh, what, what are they doing? Like, are they the sort of undercover cops within the public service? No, 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 no. They just, uh, they just get, they just get to do a program where they learn about issues such as conflict of interests and uh, oh, how to mitigate okay, okay. that. So that's going to stop the corruption because they're going to be already programmed to know to see it, smell it out before it even gets a problem. Well, yeah, ideally, I guess in his mind, but the program here is how it was kind of summed up. The program would run for 12 months. Everyone's going to sign up for this and comprise two phases, followed by a three day intensive workshop and focus on developing an integrity, integrity training program, embedding code of conduct and other ethical guidelines into daily decision making, identifying risks to agencies, improving conflict of interest disclosures and management, as well as, quote, implementing culturally appropriate systems for supporting ethical decision making in a public body. Now, part of that is really weird that the ICAC would even have to do that. That sounds like that should be something that, that gets done on, on induction when you get a job in the public service. Yep. Uh, apparently it isn't. I don't know. Um, but anyway, I, it just was baffling me that he put this out instead of saying what he was doing with this individual, with the CLP operative. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah he... Uh, Anyway, did did not provide any comment. I went back to him that day and I just said, you know, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what the hell this is. I said, I said, well, are you, you going to tell the public what's going on with this guy? And if he's still in your office, uh, did not respond to that. Yeah. He also said he was going to re- release a, a research report on Tuesday, the next day, that would provide a statistical breakdown of action taken by my office on reports received since the beginning until the end of last year uh, that never happened but it, that already actually happened he's already done that before which was very strange so yeah. um anyway look it, it was bizarre and it didn't address what we needed to address so then we go another couple of days and then we send him some questions and i started the question like this to him on the tuesday i think we sent him a question i said do you you know is the office of the icac going to support the Indigenous, you're going to put out a statement supporting the Indigenous Voice Department, Federal Labor's Indigenous Voice Department, yeah. and do you support it? And he, he came back and he said, no. Like, he, he didn't say, he said, no, he's not going he's to put not out putting a statement. or he doesn't yeah. support it? No, that he's, he's not going to put out a statement. He said, look, that's a matter, that's a referendum, it's a matter for electors, it's none of my business, essentially. So I said, oh, everyone, thanks for the prompt response. I said, Michael, how come uh, one of your staffers who sits on the Law Society Council uh, backed in that as your representative on the Law Society Council backed in that the Law Society is supporting the Voice to Parliament, a labor initiative. Were you aware that this guy's a member of the Labor Party? And are Uh-oh. you aware? Yeah. Now, this is a guy named uh, Ben McCarthy, Benedict McCarthy. Same surname. Yeah, well, it's spelled differently. This one's M-C, not M-A-C. So, uh, yeah, it's McCarthyism wow. all over again here, Pete. 
what I'm saying about it. Um, yeah, look, we 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 know that he works in that office. We know that he was hired last August, uh, sometime around last August, uh, to do to undertake. Now he's a lawyer, as we say, he's on the Law Society board here or council. He's uh, was hired to do unspecified legal duties in the office of the ICAC. Uh, of course, that comes on the same day as Files was criticizing ICAC for hiring a CLP member. And well, and let's get back to Files criticizing this too. And this is the other thing is that the ICAC is understood to be investigating labor for alleged misappropriation of taxpayer funds during the 2020 general election. Yep. You've now got a chief minister who thinks that it's it's proper to to critique and criticize the the guy who's investigating her. Yeah. Which sounds a little like intimidation um and anyway criticizing them for hiring clp but had nothing to say uh when we went to her and said well what do you think about him hiring a labor person now we'll get into the details of this briefly on what what happened um he uh and then and then you know at the same time that we had sent him those questions on tuesday i think it was and then wednesday we get response and then at the same time he's putting out a statement on cormac mccarthy to deal with the clp operative yeah. and saying that he's finally accepting responsibility and that uh, he's been moved out of that section the operations he won't be doing any investigation work he won't be doing any assessments now so i don't know what he's doing answering the phones or something yeah, yeah and apparently yeah. he was a, he was an investigator with the cops before a detective or something and is very qualified and you know but that's what happens and you got to keep that perception up that, that it's not going to be politically biased and unfortunately yeah. his ties were too strong to to, to the party so you had uh, yeah, him criticized. Now, what he had said on that day, Riches, was just to deal with this, and then we have the other one, but that he accepted full responsibility for, quote, the adverse impact this decision has had on the reputation of my office, this decision to hire a CLP operative. He said this was an organizational failure for which I am responsible, and I apologize for it. He wrote, adding the wall, Mr. McCarthy, Cormac McCarthy had, quote, done nothing wrong and performed exceptionally well. He was now, he has now been transferred out of investigations and into a non-investigatory role. However, we then said the independent can reveal <laughs> that lawyer Benedict McCarthy, a federal Labor Party member, an election 2022 campaigner, was hired around August of last year by the ICAG for duties that have not been made entirely clear. Around the time McCarthy was hired, he took part in a local youth law event along with Territory Young Labor members, including Lathira Abbasing and Harvey Stiller. You may remember Harvey Stiller from such hits as the Snapchat video of him snorting a white I substance. I was just thinking the uh, the heavy hitters that are young labor in the Territory. <laughs> yeah. Right, the, 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 you know, when that video emerged, so this guy, this joker, who was, I think he was president then, I think he still is the president, because they just don't <laughs> give a shit anymore. He couldn't, um, he couldn't it, be promoted any further. Yeah, the video on social media emerged of him snorting a white substance with a $50 note. That white substance had been cut into lines. Uh, he was forced to resign. Oh, yeah, right, so... We got it uh, forced to resign from his role in federal labor MP Luke Gosling's office last year after all of that happened. Um, now, that was funny. It's something that labor would never explain. Like, why don't you remove him as being the president of young labor if he's if you're going to force him to resign in the federal member's office? Anyway, there's a photo of uh, Ben McCarthy here hanging out with these young labor guys at this uh, at this uh, event. 
this young lawyers event. Um, now, you know, make of that whatever for whatever that's worth. But uh, he also, like I said, Stiller also worked in the federal labor member's office. So, you know, this guy, <laughs> uh, Ben McCarthy, is a, a member of the federal party. And that's kind of where the distinctions being made here by riches. Um, now, look, I should just say that McCarthy previously worked before he goes into the office of the ICAC last August. He worked in the office of the DPP. Before that, he worked as Justice Stephen, Stephen Southwood's associate. So that's interesting. This place just, and ran the legal center. Yeah, so small. Uh, McCarthy, yeah, is also we talked about that uh, on the Law Society Council. Anyway, we did go to Riches for that. He came back to us and he said that he believes that uh, that being a member of a political party should not be quote an automatic barrier to employment in my office. Now he said that despite the same day moving Cormac. McCarthy into a non-investigatory role and changing processes for hiring people affiliated with political parties. Now, he said Ben McCarthy, as he was made aware, only participated in federal Labor Party activities on the day of the 2022 federal election. Uh, this is some campaigning of some sort that he did for federal yeah. labor uh, and that he understood Mr. McCarthy had no dealings with the Territory Labor Party. Okay. Okay. I mean, there's some dealings well, there. They they know him. He's at the same young legal events. Um, I'm pretty sure that they would rub shoulders together, surely. They don't go, hang on, you're federal labor, yeah. other side of the room, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, Pete. I don't think that that's going to really cut anything, that differentiation. Um, I don't think it really exists. I mean, look, I think that NT labor members know everybody who's on the federal List of, of membership and yeah and they do and so anyway look the, 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 it is just as much now what's going to be interesting is what it, it, McCarthy's duties are in there now that much we still aren't sure it's McCarthy we're working on it yeah Ben the latest the labor guy so um now yeah because we understand Cormac McCarthy's been dealt with he's not getting anywhere near investigations he's been moved straight out of there uh, Riches has apologized to everyone for the reputational harm to his office done by that okay. however he he's continuing to defend uh, Ben McCarthy and he says nor do I understand so he says I, I understand that he never attended a party meeting or took part in any other political activity Riches said uh, nor He's a lazy party member. Yeah, well. nor do I understand him to have had any involvement with territory labor, even with the more strict controls that I have announced this afternoon based on the information I have. I do not consider that such limited involvement by a young individual in a political party would or should automatically exclude the individual from employment in my office. Now, that's what he had said that day was these new strict controls, right? So this is uh, strengthened requirements in a pre-employment questionnaire to disclose if an applicant for a job with the ICAC has been a member of a political party in the last five years. Uh, well, you'd think that might be there already. I know, I know. Uh, that, uh, and, and, then, and or it might be on their resume. Yeah. And then despite, uh, or, you know, if that, if they, well, however they respond to that, if they respond in the affirmative that they have been a member, that will be investigated to determine whether the political activity, quote, represents an unmanageable risk. Rich yeah. has also said that all current staff members, so those working there now, will have to disclose any conduct, quote, that might be perceived to be supportive of a particular political party. Uh, and that will become an annual requirement. So everything you've done for the last year that you think might be, 
perceived to be supportive of a, a particular political party. He's also saying that the ICAC's recruitment processes will now focus on applicants and, and I guess kind of give preference to applicants who reside interstate and overseas. My God. Yeah, the, um, we've been doing it for five years. <laughs> the truest statement out of all of this, uh, I mean, some of it is mind-boggling. Um, so, so those questions were never asked until this point in time. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. No. The, the truest statement out of all of that, apart from the fact that it's embarrassing for his office and everything else, is that uh, clearly the talent pool is too narrow. Yeah. And however, Chris, you know I like games, right? You know I like sports. So you're, you're into games, yeah. You're into games. While I've been listening to you talk, I was thinking, what's a way that we could harness this? Given that you know there's going to be things like political affili- affiliations such as this, why don't we get um, McCarthy Labor to only work on investigations that involve the Labor Party for twelve months, and get McCarthy Liberal? to only work on investigations in the Liberal Party for 12 months. And then after 12 months, they can swap. Yeah. And we'll see how good their output is for either team they're on. Well, yeah, yeah. I think that they should start it with the opposite way. And then okay. investigate the other the opposition. party first. Yeah, and then the switch crap it out of them and then move over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because anyway, yeah, uh, I think he's got himself into some issues here and a, and a bigger headache than he wanted, riches with all of this. And yeah. And I and I got to be clear with you, Pete, that 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 we think there's more to come on this, and um, and uh, I don't think that all the facts have have emerged yet. Okay. In this whole thing, so just keep watching the end in here. We're gonna, we'll yeah, you and I will be chatting about what's going on, but it's there's more here. There's more here, and files. Uh, you know, we went to her. And we said, because she, she, like I said, she comes out on that day, on the same day that we revealed that, that, that yeah. this Labour Party member had been hired, uh, criticized the ICAC for hiring a CLP member, and then said, uh, it is concerning hiring the Ooh. CLP member, because she didn't know about yeah. this. Uh, and we're looking at the legislation around ensuring that someone that has had political connections recently shouldn't be in that type of position. <laughs> and yet... I'd love to be at the press conference as she was saying that, and then she gets handed the piece of paper saying, uh, <laughs> yeah, here's the end of a breaking story. Um, <laughs> uh, we're ending uh, this now. Uh, I'd like yeah. to uh, perhaps revise that statement I've just made. No, and then she says that I think independent bodies that are set up need to have and need the perception of independence. Couldn't agree more there. Cash uh, Files' office now refused to comment on whether Ben McCarthy had attended any territory labor functions, campaigned for the party at any time over the last five years, even let's say, uh, or I would say last year, or if uh, Ms. Files personally knew him. It's widely understood the office of the ICAC's investigating alleged misappropriation of public funds by the labor government involving former Chief Minister Michael Gunner's campaign travel during the 2020 NT general election. So, like I said, it, and you know, she's been called. I mean, look, we know about this investigation, and we know some of what's going on. We know the files is fronted up there that she's had to uh, right. respond to questions about what she knew during the 2020 general election. She knows that this investigation is very active, yeah. and she comes out and starts making comment 
on the ICAC. And I'm not yeah. sure that that was appropriate for a chief minister to be doing. Yeah. And especially given what's on foot here and given the circumstances. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and look, <laughs> and given that they refuse to comment on so many other things too, Chris, you know, because they can't talk about this because there's an active investigation. Yeah. So yeah. it sounds inappropriate. The other thing that I would say there is it's just, uh, I thought it was really exceptional of her to um, really exacerbate the openness and honesty and transparency by refusing to comment on whether the fellow <laughs> had had anything to do with the party or any connections. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. But, but that hey, that's, that's how they operate. So, yeah, Pete, look, I, there's going to be more coming here. There's, um, yeah, this is all very odd. All right, we'll wait for more on that. And as you said, you're expecting, um, you know, some some more info in the coming days. So if this episode gets released before that happens, we'll... We'll cover it in News Bites next week and next week's story. Or if there's something really shocking we need to talk about, then uh, we might even th- throw out a, a, a little extra episode in the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, stay tuned because, yeah, the, the, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is very interesting, be very, okay. very interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story because it also uh, involves openness and transparency. And uh, that is that the Files government did not disclose the full extent of problems at Howard Springs Flood Centre. New figures have shown, according to the CLP. Yeah, that's right. Look, from budget estimates where we talked about that, a lot of these questions were being answered. And I told you, I think like we, I don't know, it would have been like a brief if we had it done. I don't think we even did it as a brief because they said something like, oh, it's 280000 the damage. And we're like, no, yeah. it's not. It's just, that's just not true. Yeah. I'm not going to write a story with false information. I said, <laughs> we'll wait until we get the real facts. And so, anyway, look, all, all of those questions that they deflected in estimates were then um, taken on, uh, you know, uh, written written down, taken back, taken on notice. Uh, they've flooded their own website now with, like, over 200 responses to those questions taken on notice during estimates. Oh, really? So we're sifting through it all. Um, but anyway, the CLP put out a thing on this. They've gone through and put everything together in terms of the Howard Springs facility and, and what they're saying. They're basically accusing files now of covering up a dangerous and unsafe situation for flood evacuees at the Howard Springs facility. Uh, and this is according to newly released budget estimates data revealed the police investigated 145 incidents at the facility with 67 of those cases involving domestic violence. Now, Leah Fanock Harris said... people were staying there, Chris? Yeah, yeah, I don't... I, yeah, I thought it was only... Yeah, I'm not sure exactly beat on that. Um, opposition it's leader... Like an obscenely high amount of instances. Yeah. Oh, it's, that, it's it, it wasn't crazy, like there was hundreds of people staying there. There were, there were, I think there were, there were, there had to be 300 maybe, on, I think, okay, in my head or 200 something. Okay. Um, but I, yeah, don't quote me on that. I'm just throwing up here some of the, what I can recall. But look, I, I want to get to some of these numbers, though, and I don't yeah. think they have that. But you're looking at, so Leo Fanakara saying that the lives of 90 women and children flood evacuees from three remote communities staying in the Howard Springs facility between March 4th and April 30th had been at risk uh, every single day during that time with 70 women and 20 children needing to be kept safe at a, quote, safe haven area set up at the facility. <laughs> these two, these new figure shows. So they, they had to set up a, yeah, a, a safe haven, they call it, inside the facility after domestic yes. violence incidents. Sorry to interrupt you. Can you just explain that to me? 
Are you telling me that women and children, <laughs> well, uh, were women and children being kept safe from like fathers and husbands? That's what this appears to, to be saying, yeah. Oh, my God. In but the what? facility, Why? so they had to move them somewhere else. Why? I mean, this is it. Like, but this like, is, is this alcohol fuel, or is this what they deal with every day? <laughs> well, and they were saying that too. That the that you know they they were allowed to drink outside of the facility, and right. so and they could come and go as they please. So, but look, let, let, let's get through some of these other things because yep. this is all right. shocking here and surprising. On this, the new data released yesterday in response to those questions showed that twelve individuals were held in protective police custody. Thirty-eight people were arrested between those dates. Uh, and uh yeah sorry and then that's the wrong figure there but yeah uh 38 people arrested uh in that same time period so it's um yeah with police having to attend 145 incidents in under 60 days including 67 reports of domestic violence uh leo finocchiaro said um it's shocking labor's mismanagement of the howard Springs saga not only showed territorians that this government can't be trusted but it let down the evacuees in the facility. The chief minister had a duty of care to keep these people safe and a responsibility to spend taxpayers' money responsibly. She failed at both. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like we said, they'd taken 40 questions, more than 40 questions on notice. Files had a lot related to this, and these numbers have come out now. Uh, yeah, we, we know that the damage, though, we still didn't get anything on that. Anything new on that yeah. damage is still yeah. tagged to 88, but it, it's going to be much more than that. Uh, yeah, and of course, it's not that Files had originally dubbed wear and tear clearly, but like, you know, she wasn't even talking about this stuff at the time. No, they no, did no. not talk about this. Which well, is the glass is, contract alone was worth, what, 350000 Yeah. And when you look at what glass that was going to replace, it's as though every window, any type of glass, whether it was uh, a window, shower, yeah. Laundry facility, whatever. It seems like every window was smashed. 673 smashed windows. They also had to replace vandalized fire extinguishers and sewage damage. Remember the sewage? They, uh, yeah. That got messed up too. Um, but yeah, this stuff, right? And then to say that she's kind of covered up this stuff, we didn't know the full extent of this kind of uh, this domestic violence that was going on there and how these kids and, and, and victims were being cared for. This, she did not want the public to know any of this. That is very yeah. clear. And the damage was, was part of it. We still don't know this. Now, the other thing that they found in here, Pete, which you'll find interesting, um, is the timing around when they started telling lies and when they started covering up, remember when they all pointed at each other and said, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. all telling the truth here? Yeah, yeah. And, and it was Literally. like, when you say that, we know that you're lying. Whenever you <laughs> have to say, no, really, we're telling the truth here. Um, yeah, so what, it says the timeline, now this is the CLP saying here, um, the timeline Labor's treasurer provided so Lawler, uh, at estimates simply doesn't stack up. On the 5th of May, she told Nine News that her visit to the facility allowed her to then tell all of her colleagues about the damage. So they're saying that they found out about it on May 5th. Yeah. Leading Nicole Madison to break ranks and admit senseless destruction at the facility. However, according to Labor Treasurer Lawler's own timeline, now confirmed in these written responses, she actually visited the facility on the 21st of April meaning the Cole Madison admitted damage before Lawler had even visited the facility. Right. So they knew about it. And, yeah. this is, and then this is what they said. The CLP said labor knew what was going on and chose to keep it secret. 
until such time as I guess it wasn't politically yeah. advantageous or they wanted to snipe at each other. And then, you know, they were telling different stories and then, but all of us told the truth. That's not possible. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, anyway. It's Lawler, our own version of the truth, Chris. Yeah, Lawler, as we said, told estimates last month the damage bill for repairs of the center had hit 288000 It's going to go up. That's not money that the anti-government wants to spend, Lawler said. But when you have people that have to be evacuated, of course, governments have to do that work. They have to evacuate people and put them in accommodation. Now, yeah, but uh, the total cost of repair is not disclosed. Like we said, a lot of, lot of damage there. Uh, the AB misfiles told the ABC uh, in relation to this that she was, quote, acknowledged weeks ago that the damage caused to the facility was not acceptable and that domestic violence will not be tolerated. So then uh, she told us all that weeks ago, Pete. So what, yeah, what are yeah. we worried about here? What's well, our that's, issue? That's what she does. She, yes, she, goes through, yes. she goes through this deny, deny, deny phase. And then about a month later, she goes, oh, I told you that a week ago or you know, yes. two weeks ago. I was absolutely doing that, gaslighting yeah. us all, and we're yeah, like, well, yeah, wait a right. second, no, you didn't actually say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a very, um, uh, shall I say, edgy interview she did with the ABC regarding this exact subject, where she basically shut it down as though it was nothing. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. That's what she's, the quote there was, the yeah, just that. Like, no, I've already discussed this weeks ago. I don't need yeah, to get yeah. back into this. So wait a second. We didn't know the extent of all of this. I, I think right. the CLP is absolutely right with their criticism here. Yeah. Um, that she covered this up and, and it was an unsafe situation for a lot of people in there that the, 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 we weren't made aware of at any time. Um, yeah, look, that's, that's them, but it, it's not acceptable really. And yeah, anyway, when we get, when we finally find out how much this is all going to cost, that's one thing, but, but, but with this and how they, yeah, just deceive the public all around and didn't want anyone to know. It's, it's mm-hmm. just, but you know, it's part of what I was telling you, right? I mean, yep. you just said that, and I was saying that uh, that Charlie Phillips, had, had their own advisor, former yes. advisor, yes, had written for us, and I'm telling you, like, I can't promote this 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 piece enough, this opinion piece that he did for us is to get, please go and read this, but it's deny, cover up delay except no responsibility sorry pete yeah. the one i forgot earlier was cover up of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that this is the classic they do. <laughs> this is what they do and they make things worse and right? uh, and the crime is always in the cover-up you've taught me chris yes so one deny two cover up three delay four except no responsibility now he he mentions in there and, and it's a very interesting read because he's talking about the um this travel work scandal during the election campaign and the caretaker yeah. period, right? And um, yeah, and I think Woody had said something like that, you know, one who, you know, is it an instance where if they had been upfront about this after we exposed it hmm. and they said, okay, we screwed up and I don't know, we're going to sack some people and we're going to pay that money back and we apologize to Territorians. That's not how we want to do business. Yeah. And then would the ICAC be investigating them right now? Yeah, no. Yeah, but they can't do it, right? They have to deny it. They have to cover it up. They have to delay any action on it, and then they accept no responsibility. Well, well, look at how it springs. I mean, I'm just going through those in my in my head. So uh, they denied it at first, and then after they couldn't deny it anymore, they then tried to cover up. And yeah. then the delay was in everyone talking about, oh, but we told the truth, you know, all yeah. three of us separately and individually and yeah. different truths, but we all told the truth. 
And yeah. And, and Hideout did not take any action and then yeah, delay yeah. what's going to happen. Well, what about the contracts? Why are these contracts yeah. taking so goddamn long out there yeah, to fix yeah. anything? I mean, yeah. the feds have already taken it over, but sure, we still yeah, have to pay. Yeah, yeah, we have to pay for the contractors to still come in. This is taking way too long. Yeah, and then yeah, and then finally in the end, accept no responsibility. But yeah, not us, yeah. somebody well, else. Is accepting no responsibility when when she said, "Oh, I told you about that weeks ago." It's like if yeah. I say that, then that's the full stop, and I can move on. Yeah, 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 yeah. And no, we didn't know all of this stuff. Uh, no, we didn't. All right. Well, um, I, I've got a, a sneaking suspicion that won't be the last time we talk about that, Chris. But. <laughs> yeah. uh, There'll be more money that we find uh, out about later, I'm sure. Yeah, right. And then charges and stuff too, right? I mean, yeah. they're still really wishy-washy on if anyone's yeah. going to be charged. And, you know, yeah. And then charge for this other stuff that was clearly going on out there that, that shouldn't have been going on. And, and and how they were unprepared for that, it appears, right? To have proper mitigation like strategies in place. If you're having this domestic violence happen there, you weren't prepared. And, and, and the government can't be putting people in positions where that's going to happen and that they can't protect them from it so that that's yeah. what i'm getting to do with it all just yeah i find it really annoying here and just deceitful on the, on the part of the government and the other thing too just lastly is when you read those numbers uh with the incidents um involving police and with the number of days that there were people staying there you're basically looking at around twice a day the police were being yeah. called yeah. i mean that's yeah. well i think what we heard before was that there was that they had developed their own little station out there and that yeah. might be where the safe haven was that they had to put yeah, yeah. in but yeah. then why why don't you take the, the perpetrator the alleged perpetrator yeah. put him in a give them safe a safe haven, haven. Well, yeah. the, the jail cell for the yeah. night or however long it's gonna be yeah, but yeah. no no we can't do that that's taking families apart or something i look man i don't know it's yeah, a real yeah. mess though and it's terrible what happened there yeah. Anyway, speaking of the um, the government speaking being yeah. speaking of the government being racist, let's move on to the next story, Chris. <laughs> because uh, a little story made the uh, online world this week that really got my attention. Because remember, we couldn't bring back these alcohol restrictions in Alice Springs because it was racist. Yeah. Well, the government have extended these laws indefinitely. Yes, that's right. Indefinitely, Pete. Now, you hear people were saying two years. We started hearing whispers the night before that it was going to be up to two years. Yeah. Uh, files, I think herself or management, somebody today, uh, I think, said in an interview that it would be files that it would, they'll review it now again at some point into the future. We anticipate that will probably be in a year to 18 months. Now, the problem with all of this, too, Pete, is, of course, they they were forced to do this. They were told how to do their job by the prime minister when he came into town, into Alice Springs for crisis talks, yeah. which we've discussed at length. Um, uh, yeah, so Files then brings it back and says, okay, well, we'll implement these bans. Now, these are tough restrictions on sales of alcohol in Alice Springs and also in the remote communities um, and, and making those dry, and they have to opt out of that. Um, so, uh, with, once they have alcohol management plans, and it seems that that hasn't happened. Now, the problem that Files has here is that she comes out and she makes a statement. Now, first they, they extended it. I think they put them in for three months and then they extended it for three months saying that they would make a decision in mid July. Files has come out once again, and I believe even three months ago, they didn't have the facts and figures in front of them, right? So yeah. the question is, what data, what information, uh, 
are the, the government relying on when they make decisions like this? Now, she said, and I, I don't did anyone question, I didn't hear the press conference on this one, but she said that uh, on Thursday that evidence had shown alcohol-related emergency department presentations at Alice Springs Hospital had reduced by a third in domestic violence had halved since the restrictions were introduced in January. However, she did not release any data publicly to back up those claims. I don't think anyone actually takes what she says to face value anymore. I think she <laughs> lost that a long time ago. Yeah. Um, they have to do this. When they put up the statement, they should attach the facts and figures. She yep. showed territories. This is what we're basing it on. It's fact-based decision-making. That's not what's happening here, it seems like. Does anyone think it is fact-based with them, though? Yeah, no, it, it seems to be all based on anecdotal evidence, gut feels, yeah. uh, whatever yeah. is politically uh, 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 yeah, uh, helping for them, whatever yeah, helps yeah. them politically is going to yeah. be what the issues That's of the day fair. are. So, um, yeah, look, we knew that hospital data at the end of March showed that there were less, that some figures were down. And alcohol presentations had also dropped dramatically at the hospital after the alcohol bans were reinstated. But you need to see this stuff. like, you, And that was like leaked data, right? Like that, they didn't even put that out properly. They've just kept the public in the dark yeah, on yeah, all this stuff. Yeah. Now, yeah. It's, all, was, it's also worth noting, Chris, that, um, you know, I saw Darren Clark on Sky News talking about this exact thing a few months ago. Yeah. What's really worth noting is while the figures may well have dropped dramatically, and let, let's say on face value, that's exactly what's happened. They're coming, coming off an extremely high base. <laughs> so yeah. what might be a 50% reduction in the Northern Territory or in Alice it's Springs or whatever area, yeah. still so sky high for national standards, it's not funny. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So now uh, the extension means, of course, the continued total ban on takeaway alcohol sales on Mondays and Tuesdays in Alice Springs. Uh, those sales are restricted to between 3 and 7 p.m. on Wednesday to Friday and 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. on Saturday, noon until 9 on Sundays. <laughs> uh, again, customers are also limited to one transaction per day. Uh, uh, I'm thinking here, yeah, Alice Springs, of course, Mayor Matt Patterson said, uh, and and I think somebody, I can't remember, he was on right now, somebody was saying, uh, uh, he doesn't sound like he's as impressed as everybody else. And it's like, well, that's because he's a realist about this all and he sees it. And this is like government's yeah. been making it sound like they're, they're addressing stuff here. So he comes out, Patterson, and he said, look, the real problem had been that the federal stronger futures legislation had been removed. We know that we've talked about that without anything to replace it. If we didn't remove the stronger futures legislation, we wouldn't be in this situation. That is the reality. He said, I am probably okay for them to take these restrictions through to after the summer, but prohibition doesn't work and it won't work. And of right. course, we get into those issues that, uh, you know, if they want the, the drink, they'll, they'll find a way to get it. If that involves breaking into homes, then, and what, yeah. you know, what's going to happen then? Um, yeah. And then just the background, which we've kind of already discussed here, but uh, yeah, of course, there's a lot of people concerned about that. Uh, hospitality doesn't want that either. You mean, you have the tourist season, you want to be able to offer uh, tourists that should be able to get a drink their places. I think there's, yeah, people were telling me that yeah, you could drive quite a distance without being able to get a drink anywhere. And, uh, right. Not good for, for the tourism season. Uh, yeah. And so I think, 
you know, the government's got us in this position. This seems to be an easier way than dealing with stuff. It's like, well, let's just keep this ban in. Let's just keep this. Let's keep turning this over. But yeah. sooner or later, you're going to come to a reckoning here where you're going to have to fix this one way or another. And yeah, yeah it's going to it's going to take some some effort here. Yeah, it is, and uh, it's an ongoing issue. And you know, when you talk about things like uh, in the last story at Howard Springs, where people are dealing with domestic violence on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's a different region, but we're hearing about these stories all throughout the territory. Uh, this is a real concern and it needs to be addressed and people want it addressed because it's fueling so many other things. <laughs> yeah. No, it's everything. Yeah. This yeah. is, yeah, this is the NT right now, how it stands and, a government that is clearly out of its depth and how to solve the issues it faces. Yeah, out of ideas. All right, uh, let's move to the next story, uh, which is a different sort of kettle of fish completely with what we've been talking about thus far, but uh, potentially another situation where the government is out of touch, Chris, and that is that the uh, NT government has put up $10 million dollars for flights to come into and out of the Northern Territory, so to encourage airlines. Uh, meanwhile, uh, yeah. they call for the feds to fund domestic violence programs. So <laughs> yeah. please discuss. Uh, yeah, this look, this was the one before we, we got news on, on uh, all domestic violence stuff going on out there at Howard Springs. But, yeah, of course, so files, they get together and they say, all right, well, this is going to be a positive vote-getting announcement well let's say we're gonna let's tell territorians that they're gonna have more flight options here well how are we gonna do that Taj? well let's throw okay. 10 million bucks at something that, that we're not even sure how that money's gonna work and function and actually flow through to anything or produce or if, results but or if we've got the money <laughs> yeah yeah and they certainly don't so look yeah so she comes and she holds a press conference at the airport she says we got 10 million bucks we're given to northern territory airports to attract new flights part of uh, the new territory aviation scheme now when i saw that in the in the release at first i thought isn't that have to do with like an old decrepit uh, amphibious aircraft isn't that the territory aviation <laughs> and we've given we're them a water, kids. Yeah, same amount of money to, to them as we're given to these airports now um to attract new flights now at that same press conference she was asked about the most recent horrific death domestic violence death over the weekend uh and of course we know that the coronial inquest is going on we know that this week is ending with this talk of um of what was going on at howard springs so here's Files now asked about that very serious issue uh, facing the territory. And she's, you know, saying, well, I've got $10 million here for new flights. And then she's asked about that. And she says, well, you know, the federal government can urgently fund domestic violence programs in the NT. Wow. Like, uh, you know, you just got to wonder what the hell's going on there and where their priorities are. And I and I was saying that, um, yeah, you know, that. <laughs> it, it, it just you can see right through them when they do this kind of stuff and to 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 say that yeah the feds can come in and do it i think it sums up the territory i think it sums up labor and their whole approach to everything right now what they've also done and this goes into a, a bigger story that i did at abc years ago but and, and everybody knows about this uh it, it's the money that they're getting from the feds that they use and this was the, the indigenous disadvantage money right yeah and it's not going to those remote communities. It's not going to help people. It's being used on on electioneering, on on vote 
getters in the uh, northern suburbs around Darwin and, uh, and Palmerston. Look, the, and it's all about priorities, and they are not prioritizing some serious social issues here. And then they wonder why crime's out of control. Yeah. You know, like, like this is the kind of stuff that's neglected, and this is what leads to it. And instead, they're saying, well, let's give the airport authority that already makes tens of millions of dollars a year, let's give them some millions to sit at the table, and we'll frame it all around how we're going to get better flights for Territorians, more mm-hmm. flight options. I don't see that. I don't see how this $10 million does that. That $10 million would be better spent in a lot of different places than giving it to these already wealthy airport boards to, to go and then give money to airlines to attract them to come here and and the crazy thing here Pete, like i was telling you the other day they've been doing this for a long time yeah the airlines to attract them to do services and flights to different areas in and out of darwin let's just say there now we had dongai airlines out of china they would never disclose how much money they gave that company right yeah. and, and it's not there but they did it for years i remember talking to the cdu professor ken Parrish about this and we did a good story at abc2 at the time about how how they've been doing this for years they never disclose it somebody in there thought let's start disclosing some of it but we'll sell it to territorians as if we're doing this as a favor to you to get you more better flights mm. flight options in and out of the place so we know about 10 million that's going now that will i guess be distributed to different places bonza remember madison was too busy to talk to them it sounds like they're getting closer to coming in i mean for yeah. that kind of stuff you, you'd like to see that we all want to see more flight options it's just that like how's the best way of doing that and, and can't the airport board actually start doing more themselves why do they have to be, keep putting their cap in hand and taking public money for all of this and can't there be something that'll work out for for all sides here and I think the guy Bonzo was saying something. I, I wish I could remember exactly how he phrased it, but it it meant, uh, however, he said that if we if the costings are indicative of, and it's like money, you mean <laughs> money? Why aren't you here yet? Money? When will you come? Money? Yeah, yes, yeah. always money. So um, yeah, we'll see that and and what happens there. But uh, meanwhile, I just think that sums up labor and and any anti government to come out and say. Here's money for something we don't need. And, oh, that crucial thing that we need. Yeah, well, the feds can deal with that. Yeah. The kid with his allowance money, right? <laughs> and like, you know what I'm saying? And then yeah. that even from the feds. And, yeah, and the other thing too, Chris, no is... Responsibility. Yeah. No. The, the other thing too, we talked about this, you and I, but it look, before you get excited and think, oh, well, they're, they're putting $10, $10 million towards getting more flights into the NT. They're also in competition with every other state and territory yeah. in Australia. Yeah. And, you know, I know, for instance, the Queensland government, they put $200 million into their fund to get more <laughs> flights in and out. So, uh, they, yeah. Yes, bigger population and more airports, but it's also a substantially larger fund. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'll see where this money goes. Like I said, I think that there's got to be better ways. But look. You know that like all they want is to like sign bonds up, right? And so yeah. that the we're getting cheaper flights to some places, and that'll take down, and that's the mile market works, and the other flights will be cheaper, now. and that's good. And we all want to see that, right? But yeah. like they will do that at any cost. And like Nicole Madison, as the tourism minister, we talk about how she's failed in every single portfolio she's held, and not just failed, like failed miserably. Yeah, she's she was a police minister. She was treasurer. She was infrastructure. She yeah. has failed so badly in everything. And now she's in tourism and she doesn't care what it costs because if she 
and at the end of the day, at some point, hold up an agreement and say that the bonds of the airlines is here. We're going to have cheaper flights. That's yeah. all that she cares about because she thinks that'll get her reelected. It doesn't matter how many tens of millions of taxpayer dollars this is going to cost. Uh, this is just their end goal. And then that's, and she's done nothing, by the way. She has screwed up every single thing that she's touched in tourism right now. We've got now the lowest tourism season anecdotally again. But hey, yeah. with this government, you don't need facts and real figures. It's all anecdotal stuff anyway. So yeah. we'll, tell, we'll tell Madison anecdotally this is the worst tourism season we've seen in years. Yeah, but that's because of interest rates, Chris, and you know that. So. <laughs> that are stabbing people in the streets. Uh, <laughs> right. you're, you're referencing that, that, that she actually said that at estimates, that it wasn't crime keeping people away. It was interest yeah. rate rises. You've got to go with something, uh, I suppose. Um, yeah, look, it, it, the thing about it is my experience with uh, airlines in the Northern Territory is that while the funds are sitting there on the table <laughs> – they will come, yeah. but as soon as the funds go, they will pull the plug. And we've seen that so many times yeah, before. Really, Pete, it has. It's just a cyclical thing almost. Yeah. Here. Right now, we're at like the lowest, I think, point we are yeah. at. And, and getting those inter international destinations, you know, this is something that they were talking about. So the airport group is, well, they get to fly over. They want to go other places. So what, what happened here was the airport development group, uh, general manager Selwyn D'Souza, Said the group, uh, we're looking at domestic and international routes with this new money. He says, we're talking to Vietnam Airlines. We're talking to Indonesian carriers. We're talking to people going to Kuala Lumpur. Philippines would be a great destination for us. He said, airlines, like any other business, they need to make their money. So we need to come up with support for that. And this fund absolutely addresses that. Okay. Well, they're just throwing it out there now. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, yeah, those places. Uh, I know that the Vietnam, I think we were the ones who reported that Vietnam Airlines uh, were looking at coming here. Yeah. Uh, and they're just doing that kind of all over. I don't know what anybody's offered anybody right now. I don't know how these negotiations go. I know that, that, that Madison thought that she didn't have to be there for for some of them and can send, quote, her public servants. So she's yeah. my public servants. The ones she owned. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, man, yeah, it just it, it just seems problematic, and it just seems like that 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 typical vote winner that they think's gonna get, the public's gonna look at and just on the surface think that this is awesome, but yeah, we still got bigger issues that we're not dealing with, and that the mess bond stuff it leads to the crime that it, wave that we're seeing the crime crisis. Yeah, deal with the stuff first. Correct, and uh, as long as we keep talking about the additional issues, uh, people will know about it. And I see, I do see a lot of people uh, commenting on different social media groups throughout the NT, and I do see a lot of the information that you and I discuss gets disseminated throughout those groups. So people are listening, yeah. and you yeah. know, it's, it's it's good to see. Yeah, that's very good. All right, let's move on to the next story. Another one uh, of great interest, and this is regarding serious issues with the Tiwi Island Land Council and their governance that's been identified in a federal audit, Chris. Yeah, that's right, Pete. Look, I think there's been some questions out there for, for quite a while. Um, it was, of course, the NT government. <laughs> They're cool with it. Oh, hey, we do deals with them all the time. We're not going to say anything. So it actually took a, a federal ministers uh, to get involved here, and uh, they had some questions that they want to satisfy themselves with. So uh, what happened here now is a scathing report by the Australian National Audit Office has found that the TV Land Council's fraud controls 
risk management and conflict of interest policies are inconsistently implemented and incomplete. Also raised questions about the validity of a 2021 financial delegation arrangement. As I was telling you the other day, there were still there were questions about how they determine consent for uh, uh, sacred site listings and stuff. Like, there's a lot of issues here, and there's a lot of problems in its governance. And and they found that the council's adherence to um, and they've been around since 1978, but the council's adherence to the Aboriginal Land, Light, Land Rights Act and the Public Governance Performance and Accountability Act was only partly effective. Uh, this raised questions over whether the financial functions and powers of the chairperson and the chief executive had been uh, validly delegated by the council. Um, some of the stuff here, Pete, some of the findings, so... Um, uh, yeah, they said with that, that financial delegation, there was something between powers of the chief executive and the chair. Um, they basically, there's no government's document regarding it makes it difficult to determine. There's no government's document regarding how the CEO and chair of the Dewey Land Council ex- expect to manage their joint responsibilities. There's also a lack of clarity as to whether the accountable authority of the council has any power to delegate under the different acts. The TLC's corporate plan and annual report, including performance statements, are not fully consistent with legislative requirements. Well, you got to be doing that. Uh, the TLC's audit committee, while properly established, is not effective in the delivery of some of its mandatory functions. Um, yeah, also, look, July 5th last year found that the majority council voted to dismiss, dismiss its chief executive officer on the grounds of poor performance. And a confidential deed of settlement was executed, which included an employee termination payment of $371,000 that the, wow. this former chief executive got. It found there was no handbook outlining or induction into the roles and responsibilities of council, trust, or management committee members, and ongoing training was limited. Um, yeah, so that the recruitment of that previous CEO was not competitive. His performance was not reviewed as required. Um, yeah. The implementation meetings does not fully support informed decision making. So, look, there's money out there, a lot of public money out there that, um, yeah, that that's not fully supported by informed decision making. Well, we were just talking about files. And I mean, that's it. They don't have, yeah, they're not showing us what, what, what facts they're relying on for informed decision making either. So, yeah, uh, I, I wonder when I heard that story, I was thinking about it afterwards. Uh, after we did news bites, and I was just wondering whether some of that comes down to the fact that um, you know there was there was mentioned there um, you know regarding you know, some pretty sensitive areas in regards to indigenous issues and yeah. rights of passage and things like that. And I just wondered whether that's because you know historically none of that was documented. It was all done through tradition and. You know, like the the passing on of language and stuff was done through song and and things like that. It was never written down. Well, look, yeah, for this one though, I mean, look, they they, they operating as a council like that have those that have that legislative framework that they need to operate within. Yeah, and so these policies would have been brought in years ago. You would think. Now, yeah, getting to your point here, that that fraud audit did uh, or audit found that um, the council's promotion of the proper use and management of resources was largely inappropriate um, in accordance with that legislation, right? So the Tiwi Land Council's policy framework and arrangements for risk management, fraud control, and managing conflicts of interest were incomplete. 
not appropriate, established, and inconsistent with inconsistently implemented. Uh, the yeah, the federal members had raised concerns. Now, procedures. This was, I think, what you were getting at too. Procedures to negotiate and monitor land use uh, and access were not yeah. robust or complete. Right. The audit report found that it found while arrangements assisting with commercial and other activities were largely undeveloped as well, which that that's problematic when you're yeah, yeah. wanting to see industry grow there and jobs in, in remote areas like on the islands. Yeah. Well, this stuff's not they, they're not ready for that. However, there had been developments in governance since June 2021. That was a positive. Now, this report made 13 recommendations as well. Uh, and they said that the council has indicated that they will implement those recommendations. However, it also seemed that was moving quite slow. Right. Uh, in terms of how that would all uh, happen. Now, it also said that the Tui Land Council uh, gave appropriate assistance with the protection of sacred sites, but that function had only been operational since early 2020. It found there were no procedures to guide the systematic establishment of consent for sacred sites, with no minutes kept from clan meetings noting how consent was achieved. So that, again, could be very problematic. The TLC does not have a process for dispute or complaint resolution, the report said. Um, Yeah, and that that, uh, the royalty payments distributed through an aboriginal corporation called Tiwi Resources. Uh, While the the report found while the Tiwi Land Council had documented processes for distribution based on council resolutions, it did not check if Tiwi Resources distributed the funds in accordance with these resolutions. So no oversight there. Also, the risk management policy, the risk register, uh, not a complete or up to date. Council was missing essential policies with those that, that existed needing to be appropriately authorized and also found there was a lack of policy training. Um, so basically, the, the Tui Land Council, the, the report found, quote, does not have effective arrangements to support the integrity of its operations. It's not compliant with the Commonwealth fraud rule. There are no regular fraud risk assessments. There's a lack of fraud training for staff. And there's no mechanism for reporting incidents of fraud or suspected fraud. Very problematic stuff here, especially, yeah, there's been big deals going on out there uh, involving that council and public money. Aside from that litany of reasons, Chris, was was there any documented reason what triggered the audit? Yeah, sorry, yeah, that that was what we were saying was that the the anti-government's been doing these deals with them and they're cool with everything. This was the audit uh, office said federal ministers had raised concerns about the way in which Tiwi Aboriginal Land Trust members had appointed council members and the lack of female representation. Uh, so, okay. yeah, something else that they, they, the Fed started looking into this. They wanted an audit, and here's <laughs> what they found. And even if that was in the female representation, but uh, yeah. whatever, what they what they bit off was a bit more than that, I think, here now. And how are you going to fix this stuff? So some woke number cruncher decided to uh, <laughs> That's what it looks like, yeah. point out a problem. They got a, a bloody battle like, for oh them they didn't expect. Yeah, yeah, because the question's here now for the anti-government that uh, why are you doing all of these deals out there when this stuff isn't yeah. being documented properly and yeah. they don't have proper fraud controls. So Anyway, let's hope that they get their act together here. They said that they're going to take these recommendations on board. I, I really hope they do. I hope that if they got to send riches over there to uh, make them all deputies, um, that you we know, don't send whatever resources we need to over there to help them um, yeah. get the stuff straightened out because it's got to be done yeah. right. 
Meanwhile, the NT government said, uh, don't worry, we'll write a business plan, even though we've been <laughs> doing business with them for 78 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. All right, let's move to the next story, Chris. And uh, an MLA has called for the end of political interference in the police uh, communications unit, describing it as a culture of fear. Yeah, Pete, this is, uh, you know, following on now. I. This is uh, pretty serious stuff, and I and I and I'm glad when we got to see the other media finally getting on board with this. Although, you know what they do, they accept the first story out of the government's mouth uh, about it that was also part of the spin that this is all about. And again, we get back into this issue relating to this uh, uh, marketing manager. I don't know what she is now. The crime, the crime marketing manager. Crime marketing, yeah. <laughs> crime, yeah, marketing manager that, that that's been brought over now by the Department of Chief Minister and Cabinet, uh, and she's you know her her job is providing strategic advice on the territory master brand. That's what her job. That's what she even says about her own job. And well, that she's part of the master brand to get the um, yeah, and that she get the crime reported properly because it's destroyed. <laughs> Get the crime suppressed from being reported, and then everything will be great. Uh, the team I lead, she said, provides strategic marketing advice and services for anti-government agencies, government campaigns, major projects, and the Territory Master Grant. So she's brought over now. She's assisting police. So we run this story early in the week, I think on Monday. Um, uh, yeah, the government then is asked about it later, and... Uh, they don't even get their story straight. Murphy said she was helping with something else, and then the government said it was part of a safety campaign that she was. Yeah, it's called not reporting the crime stats. Yeah, Jesus. So, anyway, look, but nobody even pointed that out that their stories, both the police and the government stories, don't actually match up with what this woman's doing. Um, meanwhile, though, it is good to see that they're actually finally being asked about this because they've refused to, to respond to us for quite a while after we broke this. Now, uh, yeah, Territory Labor MLA, Mark Turner, I think we can still say he's a Labor MLA. They tried to get rid of him, but they haven't done it properly. Yeah. So, um, Turner, yeah, labeled that installation of, of this position and to oversee what crimes report of the public is Orwellian, he said, and called for courage amongst wow. many, to end this political interference that's going on now. And we yeah. talked about Margaret McKeon, of course, being sacked um, for reasons unknown. She's gone. And remember the um, the weekly, apparently they did it, we were never invited to that, weekly press conferences uh, to discuss crime. Those were canceled as soon as McKeon was kicked out the door. Yeah. Um, so what does that look like for transparency? The, the issues here about the, the government, uh, you know, the political interference to cover up. We've talked about this to a great length before. Where I said, you know, this is public safety issues at times. Um, anyway, they, they decide now this uh, Sita Basher, she decides out of the chief minister's office what's getting reported, what isn't. And they, again, anecdotally, and yeah. we'll have a look and we'll crunch the numbers on releases and everything. And so we see it's way down and what's being reported. We don't think crime's down. We think hey, that's what the that's uh, what A five said, didn't he? A five said that yeah. crime's down. And then they they admitted that that was wrong and incorrect. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and so and so I, I'm saying, and, and that's all files and medicine show us that we need is anecdotal evidence. So I'm saying anecdotally that it's they haven't been reporting why everything right. that's been going on. A yeah. couple today, 
Um, but I think we went two, three days without any releases from police, which is unusual. Anyway, look, th- this is going on. We know this now. What Turner said, uh, having uh, uh, Basher in this role. Now, I, I should say this, sorry. Um, and the sources have told us that along with the, the basher, this woman from the government, along with the police executive, now decide what crime will be reported to the public and how it will be done yeah. with the work of distributing the information task back to the media unit. Previously, how this worked was this. Members of the police executive would meet with a representative of the media unit, usually the director of comms, uh, daily to discuss those crimes. The police force and the files government, uh, again, have repeatedly refused to say who created the secretive new role for Badger and why. Yeah. Um, and I was telling you that we're in a bad position with Murphy getting this, um, you know, having this opportunity to uh, audition for the role here. Yeah, so yeah. he's doing, he's not going to show the courage to, to say this isn't right and we don't want political interference. He wants the job. He'll do whatever files and warden and whoever else told him to do. Yeah. So, um, look, Turner said having uh, the seat of Asher in this previously non-existent role compounded the lack of public trust in the pillars of government and that there was a culture of fear in the public service that was hurting the territory. He said for government to have legitimacy, people have to believe in it. And regardless of what political spin masters may Good want to believe, yeah, we live in a Western democracy with policing by consent, he said. This is not an Orwellian dictatorship with policing by force and the specter of Big Brother and the thought police. The culture of fear in our public service to avoid speaking out is holding the territory back. That is so true. Um, it is, it is. Very strong yeah, words. Yeah, he brought up some of the other people, uh, other cops who, who brought up issues. Sergeant Wolfgang uh, Langenek, who uh, he said courageously gave honest evidence at the ongoing coronial inquiry into domestic violence. He's the one who said, you know, that they're overwhelmed, that they can't deal with this. Um, yeah. And he got in trouble for that, I believe, world of good that's done for the coroner. He said exactly the same thing that Sergeant Mark Casey tried to achieve in the open letter about failures in police leadership, of course, involving Chalker, that led to his dismissal. Um, So, yeah, so this is, uh, you know, going on and and we'll, we'll keep bringing up stories and hopefully other people like like Mark Turner will talk out about it because I think he kind of gives people that if they see that MLAs will do this and talk out that, that they will. And that's what we need. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he said this and look, one of the other things that we've discussed that was very unnecessary and just showed this police by forces as Turner put it was the interrogation and the, the bugging of the office. And then to have yeah. detectives come in and interrogate the media unit people. Yeah. Now, we asked Turner what he thought about that. And I remember Turner's a former cop. He yep. said, uh, he said, uh, it's a complete waste of police resources. He said, quote, I'd, I'd hazard a guess the detectives aren't overly amused about interrogating the media unit right. and have better things to do with their time, like the epidemic levels of domestic and family violence, he said. Yeah, yeah. Problem is, everyone is afraid of upsetting the powers that be, and that has to change. We're a democracy, and if our elected officials don't have the courage to do their jobs, they need to either get out of the way for someone who does, or have a good long read on the doctrine of ministerial responsibility in the Westminster system of government. Because yeah. there is overreach here. Uh, and that's what I'm saying on that part. Uh, so the response from the NTPA and the opposition, now you would ask there, and I think I touched on maybe last week quickly with you about Nathan Finn and yep. 
We had said um, uh, civilians within the department are not members of the police association. It would be inappropriate for us to provide any comment about their employment. That was on Margaret McKean being sacked and, uh, and the, the media, you know, being interrogated by cops. So he doesn't want to say anything. Yeah. Um, he says, yeah, we haven't received any direct feedback from members. Um, uh, both, both the chief minister and acting commissioner should know. I take any perception of political interference incredibly seriously and will hold them to account if members raise concerns about this arrangement. Uh, when asked, though, about the use of detectives, yeah, it said I'm not privy to specifics around that. But, you know, I think it was, well, what what did you, the question back to him was, what did you rely on when the, when the chief minister said that, no, that's not going on? <laughs> I mean, yeah. did you, how, how did you prove that? Is that to you? <laughs> then, yeah, because apparently it was. And so, you know, I, I questioned that. Um, yeah, and the CLP. I mean, they haven't really said anything either, saying they, they fight for answers from a Labour government. But uh, again, they're not doing anything. It's it's uh, you know it's a bad situation there. And I hope it's appropriate to question Chris. Come on, <laughs> yeah, um, a job. Yeah, I just there, there was something there. Yeah, just Turner saying that people need to to speak up. It has to change. People are afraid of upsetting the powers to be, and then it has to change if we're going to work through the problems here. And we're not getting that from other people, so other people have to start stepping up here. And we're in a bad place when the politicians are interfering with what information gets given to the public to, you know, on, on, on matters of public safety. This, this yeah. is, and they did because they want to politically, it's not politically advantageous to them for these crime figures to get out. No, so. no. And uh, the tip uh, the question that's on the tip of everyone's tongues is uh, this marketing manager that's now calling the shots in the uh, communications unit with the big grand statement about the team that I lead, has the team moved over to the comms department as well or has the team been left rudderless? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, very good point, Pete. I don't know, maybe one of these others that they keep, that we keep, showcasing in the uh job <laughs> of the week it's exactly what I come thought. in and take over yeah one of the newly appointed team members is now the head honcho <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we got enough of them now so uh yeah, yeah they'll just rotate through uh, yeah. but yeah look it's a, it's just a bad situation there and uh, yeah people have to have to start asking questions start putting pressure on them to yeah Get Absolutely. out of there and let police operate the way that they, they should, where it becomes operational and it doesn't become political. Because when you politicize the police as well, yeah. um, that's when we got a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah, very true. All right, let's move on to uh, the next story. This one's uh, a good story, Chris, for the Territory and the uh, Darwin. Yeah, potentially. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I hope Darwin. So. The Takula rail system upgrade is expected to boost investment, employment uh, in the remote areas. That's good. It is, yeah. And um, I guess the real good news is that it's federal government money, and and I think it's being managed by the federal government. So <laughs> let's go. hope so. Because, yeah. But, you know, maybe it isn't because the, yeah, the NT government has got on board here saying that if it's forecasting projects in mining minerals and energy industries to reach $38 billion, so this will help without identifying any specific projects, of course. Now, what this $440 million federal government funds is for regional network logistics hubs. Um, they, they could see this construction of railway terminals and warehouses along that rail line. 
um, of course, from South Australia up uh, the regional uh, logistics hubs um, would involve uh, several projects, agriculture, rare earth, solar, gas, minerals, um, and scheduled to begin in the next couple of years. They, these regional ones would be centered around Alice Springs, Catherine, and Tennant Creek. So those hubs expected to boost supply chain capacity across the NT, which the government uh, said will benefit communities and improve employment in remote areas. Uh, no doubt that that will if it's, um, if yeah. the money goes in. Um, now the uh, industry, the mining sector, welcomes the investment. Uh, NT Minerals Council Executive Director Kat, Catherine Tilmouth is saying, to attract future mining business operations, the territory needs to ensure that the infrastructure is in place to de-risk opportunities, ensure supply chain certainty, and value add to downstream processing opportunities. Regional logistic hubs are a step towards addressing these issues. Um, yeah, absolutely. So they're they're welcoming this, and um, let's hope that that does get moving and that this federal money comes in and it's spent. We know the NT government uh, routinely, you know, also these things. Well, the federal government too, and they say, "Okay, we're going to do this this year." The money's there, and then uh, it doesn't actually. It just keeps getting sent back and and not coming for years down the track. So, yeah. you know, we want to see that money get out as fast as possible into those areas and build these logistics up. It's a good idea. It yeah, sense. particularly in remote parts of the NT, because. You know, a lot can happen if you can uh, get access roads, and obviously in this case, it's it's a train or rail network that that can really help to uh, increase accessibility in the remote parts. Yeah, ensuring that supply chain certainty. Absolutely. That's yeah. Good. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, let's hope uh, we're hearing good stories about that in the uh, in the coming months and years ahead, Chris. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. We'll move to the next story and. Uh, Flickr Fest 2023 is yeah. uh, is on this weekend. In fact, if you're listening to this on the day of release, which you will be, uh, it's today. Uh, yeah. Great short <laughs> films on tour. It's The Vibe is the little uh, promotion call sign they're going with. Yeah. Well, yeah. And this, this does seem pretty good. And 7 p.m. tonight, then, if anyone's listening on Saturday for the uh, that's the best of Australian shorts um, that includes some NT shorts in there. That's a seven. And then the shorts laughs comedy at yeah. 9 PM. So two different kind of uh, programs are running. Gets a bit um, saucier after nine, I think, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it does. Uh, less, less family friendly. Yeah. So yeah, Flickrfest uh, finally coming back here again this year. Now they celebrate, of course, the best short films. They tour around. Uh, the country. Um, these films are from around the world and here at home. Uh, that's always good when you see some of these local ones. That's yeah, fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun for people. And of course, Wickerfest is Australia's only Oscar qualifying and BAFTA recognized short film festival. Wow. So they go through, they get like all these movies and then they go through and they figure out what the best ones they're handpicked from the festivals. This year, record 3,200 entries. Um, so they'll be screening those two programs, like I said. Uh, now, local NT films will also star on the big screen here on Saturday night with two NT shorts, The Wardrobe by local writer-director Kate Weivel and, and producer Sarah Price. That's a tale 
about a harassed mother who finds a unique way of taking revenge. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there's another film that I probably won't be able to pronounce properly. <laughs> Kukapuchu, The Hunter by the uh, Jampi Desert Weavers. Uh, so this is a story it's told in the language uh, in a, of uh, a Nungu woman who gives an expressive account of a day hunting in the bush. Now, it's yeah, an animated film, which, uh, yeah, they've been saying it's quite something to see. It's ah. impressive. Um, other highlights will be a quirky French comedy romance, Born to Cry. And another one called An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake and I Think I Believe It. Organized. <laughs> Say they've gone to great lengths to curate this national tour, bring the best of Australia and the world's short film excellence. So, uh, handpicked from Flickr Fest Australia and international competitions at Bondi. So, yeah, um, sounds like they got some interesting stuff this year. Well, that sounds good. And not that I'm in the uh, business of you know promoting things per se, but I did get a message this week by an interesting music act called Death by Carrot. And uh, Death by mm. Carrot are touring the country at the moment. Their music <laughs> is inspired by uh, bands like Deep Purple and, uh, you know, these interesting sort of guitar-orientated 70s and 80s acts. And uh, they're playing at Della Plage tonight at the what would used to be known as the Casuarina Surf Lifesaving Club. But no, uh, I know what I mean, yeah. It's yeah. a lot more yeah. French these days with the double part. <laughs> <Monica. Yeah. laughs> but they're playing reason. out there. So if, you, if you're not into the Flickr Fest and the uh, animated stuff, which sounds actually very interesting, um, and you're more in the Brinken area, then uh, head on out to see Death by Carrot, who said they'd be much <laughs> appreciative of anybody turning up. Have you? Have you? You're endorsing these guys. You've you've heard them. I'm absolutely not endorsing them. I've not heard them. But you've not heard them. You told me, I get out there. It's a dry season. You go anywhere. The music that they play is uh, different for Darwin, you know, because Darwin. If you go down Mitchell Street tonight, Chris, I guarantee you, every pub's (laughs) playing the same stuff, right? Nothing wrong with that, but I'm just telling you that's how it is. But uh, these guys are playing music from a different era. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, no, sounds interesting. People should check it out. Yeah, All kinds but, of things going on. But I'm not endorsing it. So if you do go, <laughs> rubbish, don't blame me. <laughs> That's just, all I wanted, that disclaimer there. That's just right. get the sense it'll be pretty good, okay? <laughs> yeah. That's all I'm saying. Now, um, just hold there for a sec, Chris. And now, it's time for the job files. Thanks to no one in particular. Ah, uh, yes never ceases to just raise the hair on the back of my neck when I hear there's no sponsor for this segment. (laughs) Brought to you by nobody. And I'll tell you what, who did we come up with last week who was going to bring it to us? Uh, Oh, yeah, I said any recruitment agency in town. I had no phone calls about it this week, Chris. (laughs) Maybe it was my attitude. Uh, Anyway, this week's job files. Uh, This is not a marketing job. I, I really like, I think it was last week's job. It got my attention because I think the government is going with the new sort of vibe now when they're doing their job ads. And that is, they're not putting any detail in the job ads whatsoever. Jeez. So Ugh. this is the senior assessment officer. Um, with the ICAC. <laughs> <laughs> must have a political allegiance one way or the other. <laughs> Cannot be on the fence. <laughs> 
Uh, no, it's with the Department of Environment, Parks and Water Safety. And they are saying that the primary objective of this role is to protect the environment by undertaking environmental impact assessment of environment management plans to inform approval decisions by the Minister for Environment, Climate and Water Security under the Petroleum Regulations 2016. Uh, that is basically it in a nutshell. There's one other line on this job. It does not mention money, so as we always say, it's <laughs> probably worth heaps. But yep. there's not even a section to click on to get more information about the job. It's just apply here or apply. So <laughs> maybe, well, I mean, I, I don't want to cast aspersions on anyone here, but with some of the jobs that have been placed recently, maybe if they put a little more in the ads, then yeah. they might get more appropriate applicants. But, <laughs> yeah, suitable. Yeah, like like Richards is going on about. Um, yeah, it makes sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, maybe they're just like, because there was always that old adage that the more questions that you get asked for a job, the less fun that job's going to be. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like the best jobs are the ones where you don't even need a resume or anything. Like, yeah. <laughs> you just show up and, yeah, um, you know, in the old days. Selling so, um, Foxtel at Casarina and things like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> With a bunch yeah. of young and wacky guys and girls. <laughs> so maybe they're just, yeah, thinking that. Like, uh, we, we don't give a lot of details. But then, like, how do they meet KPIs and how do they know that they're picking the right person? I know they got to do panels and stuff. But, yeah, they, they should definitely have more info up there on that, uh, I would have thought so, but then all the reasons that you're coming up with, tell me why they're not. (laughs) (laughs) Don't just take anyone here these days. Um, Just please apply, and if you do, you've got every chance of getting the gig. (laughs) Really? That's just the point we're at now. Yep. All right. Well, Chris, uh, I I now have to use this apparently every week as my sign-off to you, so uh, sharpen your sticks, and I'll catch you next week. (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome, Pete. Yes, we'll see you next week. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walsh, you back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. In the meantime, have a great week. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favorite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.